everybody, and welcome back to Sapphic Survival Guide, where we are queer to answer your questions. I'm Sev. I'm Gina. And I'm Cheyenne. Class is now in <laughs> session, and today we're talking queer sex ed. I'm excited for this one because I feel like it's going to give us the sex education we wish we got in school. Yeah, I feel like just like the baseline. We didn't even get like. Yeah, we got slut shamed at our school. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we got a lot at yours. Is that what you're saying? In a way. And yeah, I we feel like definitely it was got just really that. lacking and very catered towards the male gender. Oh, yeah. And not at all towards women or Yeah, women. and it was a lot of like gender fluidity. Mine was a lot of like abstinence. And yes, here are all mm-hmm. of the STIs that you can get. Yeah. And My parents also led with abstinence. They were like, don't have sex, don't do this. Like, even yeah. when. My mom found condoms in my room. She was like, well, don't have sex. And I was like, I think what you mean is I'm so glad you're being safe. Do you want to have a conversation about birth control? None of that. Actually, when I put myself on birth control in college, my mom said, well, why do you need that? And I was like, mom. I was one of the lucky, (laughs) this is going to sound so weird. I was one of the lucky ones because I got put on birth control to regulate my hormones. So (laughs) no, mine was because I had a boyfriend and my mom said, you're not getting pregnant as a teenager. Like I did. So I, my parents, I wasn't even allowed to date till I was 16. So my Mm -hmm. parents were very strict on the, like, no having sex thing. But one of the, um, I got on birth control when I was like 14. Anyways, going back to the sex ed, I also am very passionate about, uh, sex ed because my grandma was actually a nurse. I think I mentioned this before. She was a nurse Mm -hmm. that specialized in sexual health and she would go into schools. She would go into like the local prison, like go all over the place for the local health department and do sex ed classes. But it was kind of like an outside program. Like she wasn't through like the school district or anything, but like, I remember being on her computer as a child and just seeing like these close-up photos of like like skin with like red bumps and like (laughs) patches and stuff and I was like grandma what is this and that's how I learned about STIs so uh when I was like 10 um so I got exposure to it pretty young but like not necessarily in like a educational setting more like I stumbled upon it and she had to tell her because a little bit yeah yeah Yeah. well I think it is important for us to mention that this is actually going to be a two-part episode because we I've just mentioned there's a lot of sex education that's lacking. And so we got tons of questions. We split it into two parts. I would say part one is a little bit more actual education on logistics and uh, preventative things and and precautions. And then we'll get more into some how to's and and some more fun things next time, but we're going to break it all down. So hang with us for both episodes. Uh, We'll do the second part next week. We're not experts on any of these subjects, so we're going to link a bunch of resources in the description notes of the episode, just the resources that we got our answers from and things like that. And then we're also, like I said, not experts. So if there's more that you know, go ahead, comment on like Instagram or something and share the info. And we'll all learn from each other. Yeah. So the first question we got was actually, how does queer sex work, if not penetration, and what can be labeled as lesbian sex? And um, sex in general is just like very subjective. It's 
everyone has like a different definition of what sex is. And when we're talking about sexuality, we're talking about all the different ways that people express themselves and the sexual things that can be like diverse or unique. But then we also like typically tend to have those like collective experiences that pretty much everyone has when it comes to sex and sexuality. Um, So sex is just like expressing your sexuality or trying to uh just kind of like expressing your desire curiosity trying to get that satisfaction met um and then i before i go into the list of things that sex can be but you know everyone's definition is different so it might not be for you um i just want to say that there are trans people who are preoperative or that do not want to have any sort of gender affirming surgeries and they may not have a vagina or a vulva um so i'm going to include things that do involve penises because that's also included in lesbian sex because there are trans women who have lesbian sex. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a list of things that. that might be considered lesbian sex. We have masturbation, kissing and making out, um, petting, stroking, sexual massage, breast or nipple stimulation, fraudage or tripping, which is like actually what scissoring is. Scissoring is more like a yep. specific position under the fraudage or tripping umbrella. And that's, um, it's usually rubbing against genitals or rubbing genitals together when clothed. There's also mutual masturbation, which is masturbating with your partner. Um, there's manual sex. So that's like hand jobs, fingering, fisting, oral sex with the anus, vagina, or penis, vaginal intercourse, which is the heteronormative definition of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is foreplay, but we all know that this is all <laughs> sex. Um, <laughs> there's vagina plus sex toy sex. There's penis plus sex toy. There's anal intercourse with a toy, penis, or hands. There's also talking in a sexual way, sexual role play, and sharing sexual fantasies, sexting or phone sex with or without masturbation, sensation play, like pinching, spanking, or touching someone with objects in some way, which may or may not be a part Mm. of BDSM. And there's also fluid play. Uh, That's where people do things with bodily fluids for enjoyment, like ejaculating on someone in a particular way or peeing on someone. Um, And it could be something else entirely, but sex can fall under any of those things or something else. So we all have different definitions of it. And it's not just foreplay or penis and vagina. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I think society gets so wrapped up in this concept of virginity and that's exactly what it is. It's a concept. Mm -hmm. And it says that it's something you have until you are penetrated or penetrate somebody. And that is so weird. Um, We've at least talked about like trying to break down why that would be a thing. Um, But honestly, like at the end of the day, it's just sex because you're trying to feel good. Like Yeah, Yeah, you're trying to make someone else feel good, potentially to orgasm, but sex doesn't have to involve orgasm. It doesn't even have to involve genitals. Like it can be nipple stimulation, like nipple play is still sexual. So it's just like manipulating your own or someone else's body to make them feel good. Yeah, for sure. Um, The next question we got says, what, if any, type of protection do other lesbians use with other first-time sex partners? I think that there's a misconception about when straight people have sex that is uh, like what's considered heteronormative sex that is a higher risk than what's considered lesbian sex. And I don't think that's true. 
there is a little bit of a of less of a risk, but many STIs are transmitted through skin to skin contact, which is happening no matter what gender mm -hmm. the two people are. Yeah. Um, herpes, Unless for you're example, kissing it through the phone. That's the only way. Unless you're kissing it through the phone. <laughs> that is true. So I think, yes, uh, protection should still be a topic of conversation. Um, again, we've done our research and actually Scarletine has this risk thermometer that links the activity level mm -hmm. to the risk level. So for example, mutual masturbation is a very low risk where oral sex is a high risk mm -hmm. because of just the level of contact and what's going to be, you know, shared. We'll get more into dental dams later on, but dental dams are most common for oral sex protection. I also couldn't recommend more just a simple hand washing before you mm -hmm. do anything with a partner. There's so much dirt under your fingernails. Mm -hmm. And I just think washing your hands could go so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you can also use finger condoms if you're using your hand and you do have a reason to not want to use your actual fingers. It doesn't even have to be you know, anything other than like, maybe you were cooking with some spicy peppers earlier mm. that night oh and it's really not a good idea then to just go in with your fingers and maybe put something over it. So there's a lot of reasons, honestly, but protection is, uh, is definitely something to consider toys. Also, there's a really big conversation. I think that needs to be had around what kind of protection you're going to use with your toys. You can put condoms on those and regular cleaning is going to help along with thoughtful use. And when I say thoughtful use, I mean, limiting maybe the amount of people that one toy is being used on. Maybe if you're being penetrated, we've said this, consider be the one to provide the item that's going to penetrate you, the dildo, the strap on. Yeah. And we talk about this way, a lot in the sex toys episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And that way it's not getting passed around. So it's just, again, less contact. I also think the biggest thing in, um, and using protection is like, I think one of the reasons we forget about it is because for many cases, there's not a risk of getting pregnant. And I think we think, oh, birth control is just for getting pregnant. It's, well, it's a country, you know, the protection is also there for STIs. So consider testing uh, the same as if you were in any relationship, um, no matter whether you're getting penetrated with toys, with penises, with whatever testing should mm -hmm. be regular in your life all the time. Yeah, I agree. So since I was just talking about using condoms, another question, what STIs can you still pass when using condoms? Bettertoknow.uk gives like a little breakdown of this stuff. Um, there's also a really good cdc.gov. There's a condom and STI fact sheet. It's just like the basic outline. If you have any questions or are confused, um, one, I just want to remind everyone that consistent and correct use of condoms can prevent, but it doesn't always prevent because mm -hmm. there's not a 100% chance that we're using everything correctly. Um, pretty much the ones that were listed on Better to Know UK, syphilis, herpes, and genital warts were the three big ones that they named. Those are all just like skin-to-skin -skin contact, especially if there are uh, sores or like those lesions. are all ones like visible lesions and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they're all oral, vaginal, and anal. Like they can happen anywhere. All you need is skin to skin. So like condoms sometimes don't cover them because they're on different parts of the skin, things like that. So those are just some pretty much any that are transferred skin to skin contact is what I was getting was the ones that can still be transmitted.
Yeah. So is HPV contagious even without active lesions? Even if there are no signs or symptoms of HPV, and this is the same with a lot, like some of the ones that I was just talking about, sometimes you can like have a really small lesion that you don't necessarily see and stuff, but with HPV, no signs or symptoms, you can still pass HPV Mm -hmm. on and those symptoms can still develop like years later, even Mm -hmm. if like you never knew about it or anything. So yeah, that's just another. Did you uh, get the Gardasil? Um, I I got Gardasil when I was a kid and I don't know if they finished it. Oh, I feel like you should be able to access that record. When I went back to, so my records at my family doctor when I was a kid were all in handwritten. So I got my own PCP last year Mm -hmm. and they were like, we don't have some of your shot records. We don't know if you got them. Wait, that happened to me kind of like they don't have all of my records either. So they don't have have all my shot records. They were like, we don't know if you finish your Gardasil. We might have to give you the rest of your Gardasil now at 26, which is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the contagiousness of HPV and active lesions. Someone asked, can I go down on her if I have a little sore in my mouth and not a full on cold sore? So actually, when a person has herpes, they're more likely to spread it to other people during or just before an outbreak. So even if it's not a full-on lesion, you are a full-on cold sore. Don't want to don't want to make out. Don't want to go down on anyone. Most people actually don't contract oral herpes sexually, but through like casual skin-to-skin contact, usually as a child. So it's like sharing a cup with Whoa. your mom, um, sharing an ice cream cone with your grandma. Like I don't know. Like wow. it's like that shit is how it transmits um so it's not usually during a sexual thing or I I guess it is but like most people do get it as a child and then you know once you have it in your mouth like people are like well I don't have herpes but like you do you have the virus in your body it's the same thing it just isn't in your genitals you're in it like it's it's in your mouth um so that's like the big why and why it's so easy to contract and so many people have it um, and it doesn't mean that you can't ever have sex again or that you can never make out with someone. You just have to be mindful and careful. If you're about to get a sore, you can usually feel a tingling sensation when you are around where it will be. Or if you have an ac- active sore, those are the times that you'll want to avoid direct mouth to mouth or mouth to genital contact with someone and mouth to anus if you're doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And with oral sex and oral herpes, it's safest to use latex barriers like gloves, dental dams, or condoms when sores are inactive as well just because while the virus is less likely to likely to be transmitted then it still can be and if someone has herpes sores around their mouth they can prevent transmitting that by not kissing during the outbreak and you know by using those barriers so even if it's just a little one that's starting maybe hold off that's that's when we go back to the kiss me through the phone thing (laughs) well since you mentioned dental dams somebody asked what's the deal with dental dams are people using them and should we does anybody actually use dental dams we've got a a couple of those questions Mm. gina have you ever used a dental dam i don't know if we've talked about this before i have one time it wasn't an actual dental dam because i don't know where to get them um it's hard to find them but i cut a condom into a dental dam and used that you just like cut the end off and then you like cut it long ways and just like make it a square or you can use like saran wrap honestly um but I like did a little DIY dental jam moment um it was fine I guess uh not I I haven't encountered anyone who uses them but yeah I got some from my college I feel like it's 
Part wow. of the reason that people don't use them is because it, I never learned about it in traditional. Well, it, one, it's not accessible, but two, I never learned about it in traditional mm-hmm. sex education. Yeah, I had no idea what it was yeah. until I got one. So you know what I did get a dental dam for, actually? Hmm. CPR. Oh, I yeah. Got two That's so CPR. if you don't. Yeah, so that you my don't college. transmit like oral herpes and stuff. That's what I'm thinking CPR. of. That's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of. I've never gotten that is it a thing. I got yeah. two dental dams for CPR and that was the first time I had ever heard of a dental yeah. dam and I looked it up to use it for CPR and then I was like oh there are yeah. other uses for this the one mm-hmm. statistic I found was there was a t- 2010 study of 330 queer Australian women mm-hmm. that was all I could find 330 women 9.7 research yeah 9.7 percent of them said that they've used it before but only 2.1 percent said that they were using it often and then it went into research about the national center of health statistics in america did a test and it didn't say how many people this was on but 93 percent of women used a condom at least once only 17 percent used it with oral sex mm-hmm. which is just like the numbers are sta- staggeringly different mm-hmm. you know I think a big reason that You're people crazy. use barrier birth control methods are to prevent pregnancy. Pregnancy, yeah. like it's like a, more of a contraceptive thing. People aren't really yes. thinking about the STI transmission yeah. rates. Yeah, so I feel like that's why because they're like, oh, it's not an issue, and they don't have like we don't pregnant. get this. Yeah, yeah, no one else gets the sexual like literacy that like gay men get because of the whole. HIV AIDS epidemic um like which that came was with like its own problems thing. but right. now at least right. there's some education as a result which mm-hmm. I think for lesbians or the sapphic community it's lacking mm-hmm. yeah for sure this other question again kind of goes into the protection conversation how do you use barriers while scissoring there is a risk with scissoring obviously it's skin-to-skin contact we've been talking about that In order to protect both partners in this situation, you can put like a dental dam on each vulva, which can be held in place by one or both of the partners. They're not perfect protection. It's pretty easy for them to like slip and stuff, Um, but you can apply lube to both sides and that might help like- Keep it in place. (laughs) Keep it in place. I feel Uh, like scissoring is not worth doing all this shit for like yeah, I, I don't say I, it's oh my god don't you steps. have no we I am not gonna They're, allow scissoring slander on this podcast I mean I like it but uh, it's not worth not. like yes it is this much uh, well, work oh well why opinion. don't you just get tested and then you can scissor with your no, yeah, you want exactly you're STI free <laughs> yeah no I I agree but I'm just saying like <laughs> there isn't a great barrier method <laughs> yeah and so how do you ask a partner to get tested with you how do you ask someone to get tested together someone said how do you politely okay how do you polite ask. how do you say listen bitch we're going to get tested that's what i would say <laughs> listen bitch, we're going to get tested i think first of all like stis are not a big deal if you're doing what you need to do but if you're not doing anything then they are a big deal like i think mm-hmm. it's one of those things where using protection and getting tested is just your insurance like don't drive without it you know um that's mm-hmm. most or- the highest rate of stis live in people aged 15 to 24 I have had STIs in my life and I was in that age range. I don't have any STIs now because I was getting tested regularly, um, especially in college when I was 
sucking and fucking and doing whatever. And <laughs> I was getting tested regularly. And so they found uh, chlamydia and they, I had no symptoms. So that wasn't mm -hmm. something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't gone and done that myself and been proactive mm -hmm. about it. So please remember that no symptoms does not mean no STI. And if you are somebody who can get pregnant and that's something that you want, if you are walking around with STIs that you don't know about that can affect that. Mm. So STIs are more common than you think, because like, like I said, I had one in college. I also, um, want to just quickly debunk the myth that a lot of the, um, STIs are transmitted through penetrative sex and you can't get it through oral sex. There was a guy in college that would refuse to use a condom. So I was like, well, I'm not going to have sex with you, but mm -hmm. I did give him a blow job and guess what they found no. in my throat? No. Gonorrhea. <gasps> so no. I was smart to not want to have sex with him without a condom, but I didn't like put a condom on because that's not normalized, honestly. And mm -hmm. then it ended up in my throat and I did get, again, all the things cleared and everything, but would have been smarter to use protection. Um, mm -hmm. So I am openly speaking about the fact that I have had STIs because I do think it should be more normalized. And there are something called the testing diaries on Scarletine. So you can Google that and go through and it'll list through other people's experiences with going to get tested, with talking to their partner. Um, in this conversation, I, I think it is important to remember that testing isn't as easily available for everybody. And so that's why you should fund places that do that mm -hmm. uh, and vote for there to be places available that do that and you know all the things yeah so Snaps some of up. the advice in like talking to people um these are routine medical exams that you should be having uh so when you talk to somebody i think again kind of normalizing it so something as simple as hey it's been about six months since i've been tested do you want to do it together since i'm going to do this anyway so then you're not so much saying like you need to be tested and mm -hmm. you need to do this because i think there's a mm -hmm. lot of shame around testing which needs to go away this is just protection the same way we get mammograms and do other preventative you know tests mm -hmm. that's exactly what this is so mm -hmm. I think starting with, hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to do it together? Does kind of ease the conversation. Never say things like, ew, or things like, oh, since you slept with that person, we need to go get tested. Those are all very slut shamey, and I mm -hmm. couldn't disagree more with that approach. My personal advice, if you can compare it to a COVID test, like when you, in like the height of the pandemic, when you went to somewhere that put you at a high risk of exposure, you took a COVID test after. If you engage in things that put you at a high exposure risk, you take a test after just to make sure you're, you're totally fine. Um, so I, I think lead with the fact that this is a regular safety and insurance thing. Do not use this as shame or punishment. You know, anyway. it's a health, it's a health issue. There shouldn't be like a morality attached to it. The only reason that there is, is because of like... <laughs> fucking like patriarchal uh certain religions stigmatizing mm -hmm. sexuality like there's no reason <laughs> that we should yeah. be no, like looked sure. down upon for getting tested and also for having stis like there should be no like clean versus dirty dichotomy all that stuff is like so fucked up and if you really like unpack it and like look at where that language and those thoughts come from you know mm -hmm. it just like is very obvious that it's from people who are trying to keep us subservient 
people trying to keep yep. us limited to one sexual partner, hopefully a man that we're going to marry at the ripe age of 18 and give 10 kids to. Oh, and great. Like, yeah, continue the uh, human race for, I guess. But so if basically if somebody that you're with does not want to get tested or shames you for doing mm-hmm. so. That is one of the biggest red flags. You should educate them on why they're wrong, but also if there's pushback, just know that then doing things with them is going to be a risk because they're not taking the precautions. Um I just to kind of again more normalize this, I did read an article about a the article is called I'm a bi woman with herpes, here's what's in my sex bag. And mm-hmm just so that you know what's in there. The first thing is disclosure, which is just a cute way to say, like, I let everybody know um, this person has condom and den- condoms and dental dams, silicone vibrators, lube, and medication. So it should be way more normalized, like to just kind of have this education. But yeah, no, get tested, people. It's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. What about asking to see people's results? Did you find anything good there? Well, the question is, what are creative ways to ask for someone's STI results? And I just think, like, I know a lot of times it's like, oh, make it a joke and like do feel mm-hmm. silly, funny things. But I think that there's a lot of miscommunication that could happen if you do that because of this topic. So I think being mm-hmm. straightforward is like the most, like, I don't think you should make jokes. I don't think you should find some cute, creative way. I think just kindly, gently, Hey, did you get your results back yet? Here's mine. And so I think it should be a joint thing, especially if it's your partner. Mm -hmm. And if you already got tested or something and they need to go, then go do it on their own, just like then agree, like, Oh, when you get yours back, like we'll share both of ours or something. I just Mm -hmm. think being straightforward is the best way. Like, please don't make jokes. It's just like, not the the right time. Yeah. I was going to say, even though obviously I love to make jokes about every situation, I was going to say, we shouldn't have to have like some cute pickup line, like about getting your test results back. Like it's exactly. shouldn't be that big yeah. of a deal. And the fact that it exactly. is made into a big deal is very sad. Um, but hopefully we can see a big change in that in our lifetimes. Um, so with that, do you want to take a little break? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And we are back. The next question we have is how long should my nails be if I'm fingering someone with a vagina? Gina, do you have any opinions on this? Do you have a preference of how long you like your partner's nails to be or your nails since you are not really that into long nails more for aesthetics than like Mm. sex, but I've never like had sex with a girl who had really long nails. (laughs) Yeah, I have. It wasn't great. I know some people, uh, like are not against it um but honestly fingernails however short they may look are remarkably sharp and can cause chafing or scraping and even things that would not normally cause abrasions to your other skin can cause little tears or cuts in your vaginal tissue doesn't sound fun for anyone and I would also go as far to say your anal tissue if you're fingering that tissue is very sensitive in general so it doesn't matter how long your nails are um but you can avoid this by keeping your nails trimmed you can cover them with either latex gloves or as I believe Gina pointed out before, you can get finger cots, which are, which are like little condoms for your fingers. They usually have those at drugstores and pharmacies. I think I also saw 
that you could get like a latex glove and then like cut the tips off and then kind of use those as the finger cuts. But I don't think that would be as like secure as just like wearing a full glove. So you can do that and use some lube to try and prevent any sort of chafing or abrasions. And then another tip that I've heard online before, and I believe I've said this before, is to get like a latex glove. And then if you have really long nails, you can put like cotton balls in the tips and then stick your nail into Mm. the tip of the cotton ball. And then you have like soft little fingers. I don't know how that works with like the dexterity. I've never tried it. I don't have long nails, but apparently uh, it's a thing that a lot of people do. So that's an option for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the next one was how do I avoid red bumps on my thighs from all the thigh grinding or is this just life? I have HS. I get bumps everywhere. I'm not. Do you have, Gina, with your uh, hydrogenitis supertiva, do you experience this more with the friction like that this person experiences? Like does the friction kind of cause more of the bumps or you already have the bumps so it's not something you would notice? So I don't get red bumps like I feel like this person's describing. I get more Mm -hmm. like abscess outbreaks. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like one big thing rather than a bunch of little bumps. So it might be Mm -hmm. dependent on this person's skin, Mm -hmm. um, which I think everybody's going to have different issues. My girlfriend has eczema. I've got HS. Mm -hmm. So I would say that this person probably needs more lubrication, maybe some Vaseline or something if they are going to be bumping because obviously it's irritating your skin. But I think I think it's a little more dependent on your personal, like the way your skin reacts more so than like an overall just life. Cause I yeah. I don't want to like right. say something, but I, I don't think this is happening to everybody. I have different issues that are happening to me, but this one not specifically. I haven't experienced yeah. that. Yeah. I, I was assuming yeah. that this was like chafing. So my advice for this was going to be uh deodorant. I will put it like in the middle oh. of my thighs in the summer and it keeps the chafing from happening. So if that's what's going on here, I, I deodorant might help. I stepped up from deodorant and I just throw aquaphor. Mm. I actually put aquaphor when I wear leather pants. Mm. aquaphor there too to stop the chafe because the leather will rub off on like a leather pant or something yeah um but yeah I have really sensitive skin I chafe a lot just like from how sensitive my skin is and Mm -hmm. also because I do like have bigger thighs and I would just say like lube up with whatever you feel comfortable to stop chafing from with that to like Vaseline aquaphor deodorant whatever you use I think that's probably what is happening little red bumps right yeah and if it's not chafing just in case you might want to go see a doctor about that yeah I don't know what if it is chafing but just in case it's not but my assumption is that it is chafing yeah yeah our non-medical opinion (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah perfect so our next question then I am assigned male at birth and I have never been with another person assigned male at birth before and I have no idea how to douche Wait, like, I have so much stupid question. What isn't douching for vaginas, or is this can everybody? No, you can douche your butthole too. You douche oh, your butthole for everything. Yeah, like that people do it for it anal. So yeah. I did my little, I did my little research on this, and I actually learned a lot because I've never douched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <laughs> SF AIDS Foundation had some really good resources to learn about this. There's like a ton of different things you can do. Uh, Fleet enemas are like the best bet for safety, but 
There was also listing of like shower head. There's a bulb kind of thing you can get at a sex store. I don't remember exactly what it was called. And then you can even use <laughs> this one was so strange to me, but it makes sense. Like the baby mucus suckers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically the when you said the bulb, yeah. that's what I was imagining. Yeah. So it's basically so the same thing. A baby mucus sucker. You can use one of those too. And then what you want to do, I did, had like a whole step by step that I learned. So you prep your butt. You got to loosen yourself up, lube up Mm -hmm. a finger, get up there. Don't use too much water. Try to avoid using tap water every single time because I guess tap water has like, you know, tap water has extra stuff in it that you're not going to put in your body. Yeah, every time. So normal saline is best. And you can DIY this with a half teaspoon of salt to a cup of water. That's like the... Yeah, ratio. yeah, that's like ratio. Good ratio is the word I was thinking. And then you want to keep it lukewarm. Make sure it's not too hot because your skin, especially inside your body, like way more sensitive. So that will hurt and that can cause more issues. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to stay close to your toilet or your shower. So you take the, the water in the little shower head or bulb after you prep yourself, squeeze the water up there, and then one of their tips was like try to keep it in there for a second and then jump up and down to kind of like oh shake the water where you can i didn't really think you'd and have to do that like i would if think you like gravity it's would okay just to bring it down yeah so like jump around or swish around and try to keep it up there you can like squeeze your butthole and then just sit over the top of the toilet or you can like spread in the bath shower one tip don't overdo it you want to do it like once daily two to three times a week at most um give yourself time before you actually have sex because water can stay up in there for the next hour or so Mm. so you're going to want to wait unless you're taking laxatives for other reasons don't use laxatives to clean yourself out and be reasonable shit happens literally okay like it's yeah wow I learned something new today oh yeah yeah Yeah, I learned so much and I was like I've never Hmm. really needed this information but now I have it and I think it's yeah because I feel like for people with vaginas we're told not to douche because it can like fuck with your vaginal ph so Mm -hmm. I mean obviously you can still douche your anus but I was like what word do I want to use here and as someone Uh, you can still douche your anus but yeah okay so Another question we got was, how do you deal with the impact of antidepressants on sex drive? And I kind of uh, assigned myself this one because I have a lot of experience with trying different things. Um, So you can smoke an herb called Damiana or you can make it into a tea and it's kind of like an aphrodisiac herb. Uh, I have smoked it, didn't necessarily see a huge... uh, libido boost but everyone's body is different so you might you could also take supplements that are aphrodisiacs like ashwagandha or maca root i believe you can make those into teas too but i have taken them in supplement form and you can just like get those over the counter at a pharmacy also didn't really see uh (laughs) results with those ones and definitely talk (laughs) with your doctor before you know buy any of this stuff just in case it, it might not be right for you. Um, but another thing that you could talk to your doctor about is taking Wellbutrin or Bupropion, um, which is an antidepressant that a lot of people take either by itself or combined with their antidepressant to kind of alleviate the side effects of the antidepressant um, or to 
like if you're on Lexapro, you can just like switch to Wellbutrin and maybe still have the same mental health benefits without the libido side effects. Um, so that's an option that you could talk to your doctor about. I actually just got prescribed this anxiety medication that I've never heard of before. It's called Boostbar or Boostbarone. Um, and it's like twice a day. And I was like reading about it after I got prescribed it. And a lot of people were like, it's basically Viagra for people with vaginas. And like all these people were saying it made their sex drive crazy. And I mean, I haven't been on it for like the full four weeks or whatever it takes to start to really feel the side effects of a medication, but I have been pretty horny. So I don't know if that's like placebo (laughs) effect or uh, (laughs) actually it worked, but I've never, like I've done so much research and I swear I've never heard of this medication. So it might be worth looking into, especially if you're talking about options with your doctor. Um, And then I think another thing that's not uh, supplement or medication based for dealing with the impact of antidepressants on sex drive um, is learning about responsive desire versus spontaneous desire, which we've talked about in a past episode. Um, A lot of us do have responsive desire where, you know, once we get started, we're more in the mood. We're not just like randomly in the mood to fuck. So um, if you do some research on that, that might be helpful for you. And, you know, if you try all these things and none of it seems to be working for you, I think the best way to deal with the impact is acceptance, finding a partner who is willing to masturbate. If, you know, you're not down to have sex, like they're, they're cool with masturbating or, you know, maybe you're cool with non-monogamy and they're like getting those sexual needs met elsewhere. If that's not something you can or want to do, like there are other options, um, but like, it doesn't make you any less of a partner or person or a sexual being. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard that song? That's like, I miss having sex, but at least I don't want to die. Like it's so real, but then yeah. like, it kind of like makes you, it's like, it's kind of sad. Cause you're like, damn, I'm, I, I do miss having sex. Yeah. <laughs> and that is like kind of depressing in its own way. But I don't know. I think there are things you can try and not everything works for everybody so you don't know what might work for you um and even like going back to like traditional aphrodisiacs like oysters and um dark chocolate don't necessarily work but like maybe they will work for you maybe that placebo effect will kick in like you don't know until you try it so I think there are some options but in the end like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do and there are options for like making peace with that and accepting that to keep your brain chemically healthy maybe your libido is going to take a bit of a a hit um and it's worth it for you so yeah so our last question is how do you deal with dysphoria during sex there were a lot of tips and tricks that i i learned from this so one like don't ignore dysphoria it can sometimes make it worse or like more repetitive in your brain so if you're in the middle of an interaction notice what you're feeling work with it try to get to the root of it you can withdraw consent anytime you're feeling too dysphoric you know or if you're feeling uncomfortable you can always just ask them to do something else or do something differently you can say a mantra like i radiate blank like i radiate masculinity i radiate femininity all that kind of stuff you can do breath work to get back to the moment um the one that i really liked was a yes no maybe list at the beginning at the beginning Mm. but like have 
knowledge of what you like and what you don't like and have like a yes no maybe list even if it's just in your head of like things that you know you like things that you know you don't like things that you might like and then as you're working with someone communicate tell them you know if they're touching you in a certain way you can be like actually can you do this instead you know like try to move push them into the way. yeah and that's really important with like solo time so you got to know yourself know your body know what you like know what you don't like um then you can find a figure kind of figure out what feels best with a partner uh someone said if you have like a partner that you're more often hooking up with you can like make it a game take turns touching each other really get to know mm. what you what kind of stuff you're into what you like um this is from them.us dysphoria can pop up because of like societal cultural gender norms so there isn't a correct way to touch someone the right way to touch someone is the way you like it so like I forget who I wrote down a quote and I forget who it was quoted by but they said there's no reason to like touch a chest differently because there's more tissue there's no reason we can't use a vibrator on a penis there's no reason that we can't give a hand job to a clit like that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. there are ways to feel gender euphoria by doing different moves and different things work with what you got you know you can do that that's beautiful um yeah and there's like I learned a new term when I was looking this up it's called biological homologs homologs I don't know how to pronounce it because I was reading it but basically like those are words for parts of the body that everyone in a species has so like all Mm -hmm. humans have a forearm you know so try to work with those words for different parts that everybody has does that Mm -hmm. make sense yeah yeah Mm -hmm. like everybody has has genitals yeah you can also experiment with different types different ways to have sex uh outer course if keeping your clothes on is more affirming for you keeping a binder on that kind of stuff you don't have to be completely bare when you're having sex with someone and if somebody is upset with you uh because you're keeping clothes on well that is their problem not yours Mm -hmm. you can do some grounding techniques and then learn things from other queer people so watch queer porn which we had an episode about queer porn. You can watch it and learn a ton of stuff, a ton of different mm-hmm. ways that people in similar situations to you, things that they like, things that they make them feel good. And then you can learn like, oh, that might, I might like that. You know, there's so many thousands of ways to have sex that like, mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to learn because there, there's so many things out there that you don't even know that you might be into. Mm-hmm. Got to figure it out somehow, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah completely agree well I think that beautifully wraps up part one of the episode and like I said we are going to be doing a part two because we have a lot more questions Uh, so please make sure that you're following along that you've subscribed and that you give us a rate and a review you can also follow us on social media anywhere at Sapphic Survival Guide, except for Twitter, which is just at Sapphic Survival. Um, Sev had mentioned that we did some queer porn recommendations, and we have those on a story highlight on our Instagram. So go follow us. You can also subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Sapphic Survival Guide for extras and to get access to our Discord. And for my own social media, you can follow me anywhere online at the Libra Gina, including my website, thelibragina.com. And you can listen to Um Hello wherever you listen to podcasts. For Jersey Shore recaps, we're going to find out who wrote the note. <laughs> who wrote the note? You can follow me, Cheyenne, at Hot Mespian on pretty much any social media platform. And you can follow me, Sev, at Lucky Sev with two Ys pretty much everywhere. And with that, 
Classes dismissed. Classes dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>